0: Welcome to the podcast, A Colored Girl Speaks. Meditations on race and other magical things. A collection of personal essays on race, culture, and politics through the prism of identity, memory, and history. An intimate and often painful commentary on race in America and the way forward. Essays are by Andrea Hunter and are narrated by Tierra Moore. So, at last, this colored girl speaks. Episode 4,
1: I Am of Her. Prologue. With her tuition money pinned close to her bosom after a long day's bus journey from South Florida, my mother and her younger sister Clarice crossed the Georgia State line on their way to Fort Valley State College, a Negro college in the city with whom it shared its name. It was 1957. The Greyhound bus stopped for more passengers and a change of driver when old Jim Crow stepped up too. The new driver scanned the passengers, and there the two sisters sat, right up front, where they had been since leaving Florida. You gals move on back he said. Clarice began to gather her things with a sharp glance to her sister to signal the silent conversation colored people often had in front of whites. Murk, Clarice said aloud, knowing they were not going anywhere, but prodding anyway. The bus driver repeated with firmness, y'all here? My mother did, of course, and speaking to her sister not the commandment, replied. We've been sitting here since before Miami, and I will not move. Clarice nervously fell back into her seat and waited for what was next. The driver again looked at my mother, and his eyes lifted toward the back of the bus. He knew, too, that only force would move her, and that meant the police. The driver kept his body firm, a show of his authority, but then settled into his perch in the driver's seat and in the next moment announced, We're pulling out! Maybe, he thought, I got a schedule to keep. Or maybe it was the way my mother looked right through him, like my daddy said she had a way of doing. It would take more than 50 years and one of the last road trips of the two youngest Davis sisters for this story to be told. But with it, my mother reminded me. I am of her. of her. On a summer visit to my mother, she began giving me back things she had saved of my childhood. Report cards, school papers, photos, and a program from my first dance recital, held June 5th, 1965. Nearly 50 years passed, it was discolored with age, but well preserved having survived the onslaught of Hurricane Andrew in 92. Stars of the Future, presented by Peggy's Dance Studio, it read, We danced in pink, and the tutu and neckline were trimmed with red-pink sequin. I remember the excitement. I was a ballerina. It was my first year of ballet and tap, and my first recital. As I read through the program, it occurred to me for the first time. We were all black girls dancing together. In all these years, I had never thought of this. There was a normalness to all those photos, all brown faces in dance costumes. Anything else would have struck a chord of the unusual. Just as it has now, as very little of my life is segregated in this way. Having been surprised by this, I asked my mother how this came to be. She answered, I wanted you to take dance lessons So in 1964, she set about trying to find a teacher. No one else would have colored girls except Miss Peggy, as we called her. There is little I remember of Miss Peggy's face except, with curly reddish blonde hair pulled back in a pony, I thought she looked like I love Lucy. Miss Peggy would not mix colored girls with white, but she agreed to do a class if my mother could find enough colored girls for one, which my mother did. 10 girls, all from my community, with skin from ivory to the darkest brown. Miss Peggy must have been brave to do this in 1964, as no one else would, just as audacious it was for my mother to ask. The dance studio was a converted Florida room in Miss Peggy's home in a neighborhood where none of us did or could have lived. After many months of classes and rehearsals, we performed that June night, 7.30 p.m., in the service club of the Homestead Air Force Base for a number entitled We're Tiny Tots. We were in Act 1, the fourth act of Girls Before the Dance, the Prima Ballerina, a solo featuring Miss Peggy's star dancer. This would be the first of many ways my mother pushed me across the color line, as if it was no more than a fragment of the imagination of those who drew it, and no one defied her. Throughout my youth, my mother and I integrated all kinds of white spaces that never included the likes of me, the elementary school, brownies, girl scouts, cheerleading, and the cadets. I went survival camping Canoed down the Peace River and waved in the Homestead Rodeo Parade and helped to build a float with the gigantic hot pink cowboy hat for a parade colored folks long avoided. I trick or treated and went caroling in neighborhoods where black children never considered going. And for most, I was the only colored girl among them, or was accompanied by two family friends, Val and Lisa as we shattered the color line without knowing. There was no place my mother believed we could not be because we were colored, and the world was catching up to where she had always been. So, I was on the front lines of a movement, though I did not know it then, and so were all the other Negro children of my generation in the South, who were called to do something that had not yet been done something the nation still was quite not ready to do. Desegregate.
0: This brings us to the end of this episode of A Colored Girl Speaks, Meditations on Race and Other Magical Things. Your time, the listen, and your engagement are most appreciated. To connect with the essayists and a broader community of listeners, please visit the website andreahunter.com or connect with us on Twitter, A Colored Girl Speaks, at I am Andrea Hunter. And subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Until we gather again, share your stories and meditations. And ask for those stories not yet given.